0: Welcome to the Traveler's Blueprint. Start designing your next adventure.
1: Thank you for joining us on another travel around table discussion, where we like to break down essentially anything related to travel. It varies from adventure to culture, conservation. Uh, today, we're going to talk about responsible travel. Before we get into the podcast, though, if you're listening to this and you yourself are a travel expert in any uh, in any way, shape, or form and you're interested in joining us for one of these discussions, you can email us at thetravelersblueprint at gmail.com, and we will work to get you on an upcoming panel. Before we get into the responsible travel topic, though, I do want to introduce both of our guests. Erin, this is your first time coming on the podcast. Uh, Welcome, and why don't you just briefly tell us where you're located, how you are involved in the travel community, and then where people can find your content.
2: Hey, I'm Erin. I'm based in Toronto, Canada. And I'm a travel blogger behind the blog Pina Travels. And I also host a podcast that is actually all about responsible tourism. It's called Alpaca in My Bags. And yeah, you can find me at pinatravels.org or alpaca in my Yeah, awesome.
1: And Amanda, welcome back to the Traveler's Blueprint Podcast. I don't even, I, I've lost count of how many times you've been on at this point. It's been at least four or five, maybe. Oh, Elliot, I would have? say
3: three or four, but yes, but I'm always happy to be back. And it's, it has feels like it's been a while, so it's good to be back. Yeah, right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So so just tell us where you're located, um, what you do, and, and where people can find your stuff.
3: So I am in sunny and hot Perth in Western Australia. And um, I run the Thoughtful Travel Podcast, which is coming up to its sixth birthday. Uh, and you can find um, that everywhere, but especially the show notes are all at notaballerina.com.
1: Yeah, we did learn how you came to, to, to get that website. <laughs> Probably, I think yeah. the first <laughs> conversation we had yeah. with you. All right. So the plan for today is to talk about responsible travel. We are going to start with just, I guess, giving a definition for it probably providing some examples of what thoughtful travel means to us individually, and then maybe uh, where we anticipate thoughtful travel is going to head in the future. And I mean that in the context of the travel industry evolving. <clears throat> so obviously there's going to be new things to be considerate of. And then we do have three specific topics that I I wrote out that we could maybe break down. I don't know if we're going to have time for all of them, but very briefly, I think it's we'll probably end up talking about the conflict of wanting to live a sustainable life while also wanting to travel the world and essentially, you know, fly around the planet and build up your carbon footprint. Um another thing that I I think is sort of a hot topic today is contributing to governments through tourism where the governments are either commit crimes against humanity, start the political climate in a negative way and uh, you know, is it worth exploring these cultures, right? And and that even saying that, like, you know, it's not a cultural thing, it's it's the government thing. So I think that's a good one that we'll talk about. And then the other one is also something new that rolled out after, or that, that picked up speed after COVID. And that's where we're seeing landmarks and national parks sort of be redesigned to uh, preserve them. But then by nature of preserve, preservation, if you're limiting accessibility. So where's the trade-off there and when we come to that. So, all right. Um, let's define it. Let's define responsible travel. Um, Amanda, to talk to us, you know, you, you both talk about this every day. What, what, what is responsible travel or thoughtful travel to you?
3: Oh, well, I mean, it's, it's a lot, um, you know, it's a big, big, um, big topic, but essentially I think that it's travelling in such a way as to minimise, hopefully minimise the harm being done to both the environment, to the communities you're travelling to to, and ideally actually giving back and um, providing some benefit through your being there, not just um, minimising harm. Um, And I think there's a kind of an extra part, if we're talking kind of thoughtful travel, I think it's beyond just, um, you know, hopefully, helping and not harming where you visit, but also helping yourself in kind of extending the benefits of travel in the way it can give you, you know, like kind of personal development or, you know, give you inspiration to do, you know, other good in the world. So I think, you know, there's so many things that travel can do for us and that striking that balance of travel that's good for us and travel that's hopefully good and, you know, at least not damaging to the rest of the world. um, That's kind of that. That's, you know, the the short summary I would give. <laughs> Yeah. I bet Aaron has a much <laughs> more succinct way of expressing it though. Aaron, what do you think?
2: <laughs> I was actually going to say for someone who podcasts about this topic, I still find it so hard to, <laughs> to, to give it a proper definition because, and I've talked about this on the show before, I feel like the term responsible travel can come off a bit preachy. And I don't, I don't like to go into that territory because, yeah, it's hard to pin down like what it means to be a responsible tourist because it can mean different things for different people. Um, and there's so many terms flying around these days like responsible travel and regenerative travel and sustainable travel, and they're all like intertwined and they're all great terms. Um, But I actually love the term that you uh, use on your podcast, Amanda, thoughtful travel, because it kind of hones into the thing that all those terms have in common, I think, which is that we should take time to think about the impact of our tourism on us, on the people we're visiting, the communities we're visiting and on the planet.
1: Yeah. yeah. When you kind of <laughs> peel it back to right? the the things that would make one a responsible travel traveler are also the things that just make someone a good person in general. Mm. And really, it's just being being considered being empathetic uh, and acknowledging that, you know, everything isn't for you and then bringing that with you on your trips, you know, um, yeah.
3: I think that's a lot of the problem because traditionally we travel or especially if we think of it as vacationing or holidaying, we're doing it like in a kind of a selfish, self-centered way because we deserve it and we want to relax or we want to, you know, it's kind of really, you know, not not necessarily as kind of ethical and and good as we would behave in our everyday lives. It's kind of been built up to be this thing that is a treat and we deserve to do whatever we want and it doesn't yes. matter because it's just a, a quick thing or whatever. But, it, you know, if we could just be, like, good people the same way we're good at home, mm-hmm. do that yeah. when we travel, that would solve a whole lot of stuff just to start with.
0: I think in a recent <laughs> a recent discussion with one of our past guests, uh, I think I described it as, like, the purge. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with that movie series that, that, and like all they do, they have one day a year where they just do whatever they want. All laws are, uh, I guess, broken, or you don't get in trouble for anything. And that's kind of how people treat travel. It it is that it's built up, you can do whatever it's meant to be for you. So then I think people feel that entitlement when they do travel. Yeah.
2: I actually think like, when you think about it, tourism is at its core product. And for a lot of Americans, especially who have like one to two weeks to get away, I honestly don't blame people for seeing Mm. it as like a self-serving thing because Mm -hmm. they have two weeks to themselves to go (laughs) and try to relax like out of an entire year. And so of course the tourism industry like caters to that experience. And I think that's why it's so hard for people to break out of that habit and start to think about the bigger picture. And I think like the way I've traveled a lot of the time has long term like for nine months at a time which is such a privileged experience i think a lot of people in their lives don't ever get to experience that and it is much easier to travel in a sustainable responsible way when you're able to do it slowly and over a long period of time yes.
1: that's a great that's a great point that's yeah yeah
0: yeah and so i think the we're already to a, a a a point where we have a solution and the solution is simply just give more vacation time
2: Yes, totally. Yeah,
0: that's very sure.
3: easy. To <laughs> well, but it isn't as hard as we think, I think. Sh- I mean, it it's easy for be. me to stay because down here we have like four to six weeks annual leave and we have long yeah. service leave and it's easy to take, you know, a gap between jobs. You know, it's Australians are, you know, known for traveling at, at length. Yes. But I think like COVID has taught us that, you know, work for many occupations, working from home. A, you know also you could be working from anywhere is way more possible than you know most companies or organizations ever thought so you know maybe we can kind of uh like flexible you know flexible work spend three weeks living some you know staying somewhere three or four weeks living somewhere and half of that you're still working but half of that you know you're kind of uh exploring as well and that you kind of get a bit of the both of the benefits that way i mean i think there's you know the there's everything's off. of yeah, All possibilities are on the table now going forward. I think there's new ways we can do it.
0: Yeah. I love that. I want to linger on this a little bit more because I think the the Airbnb CEO thinks that this is going to be happening. Like they're experiencing Airbnb is getting more long-term bookings than the one to two night bookings. They're getting like a month, two months, three months. And people, that is like perfect slow travel. If you want to really immerse yourself, you actually got to be not necessarily part of the workforce, but you if you have the same working hours as the people that you're staying with or the culture that you're with then you experience the same routines they do and then you you kind of immerse yourself into it more than what you would do as a tourist mm-hmm. cuz now yeah. you're treated more like a local
3: yeah yeah I always I always remember I had a guest on one of my very early episodes and it was about slow travel and I said, you know, what do you what's your definition? And his definition of slow travel was if there's a coffee shop and when you walk in the barista knows what your order is, then that's slow <laughs> travel because you've been there long <laughs> enough that they figured out your order. So that's awesome. So that was a great <laughs> definition. <love> that.
1: <laughs> that's, that's a, this is a good segue into one of the topics we had um written out but yeah essentially where is where is thoughtful travel headed in the future and i definitely think well it's not even a matter of think you can definitely see that people are already starting to go that route of traveling slower and and immersing themselves in the culture and then going back to what erin said by doing so you end up becoming a more thoughtful traveler you know just by default by by being there and and not viewing this as a two-week stint um yeah it's incredible so did covid help travel ultimately in the long term you know uh... I think that'll
0: be a great analysis in 10-15 years Bob when you go for your PhD Uh, in in like social geography and travel then you can you can analyze did COVID I mean it it hurt for two to three years was it one step
3: back three steps forward yeah (laughs) but there's also this issue of revenge travel you know now that people are like "Oh, oh so um making up for all the travel they missed out on one oh, and uh, yeah, I did feeling that. like oh you know this could happen again i've got to go and see and do uh-huh. all the things in case in case another pandemic hits or whatever so you know that kind of could go a bit of you know this it can go two ways i think so i know i
0: definitely did that uh this the i guess the last 3 months of 2021 i took 6 weeks off in a 12 week period and I, it was just like things were opening back up. I did two weeks of vacation here, one week here, another week and a half here, and then a week there. And it <laughs> uh, people I work with weren't super happy with that. <laughs> but I was like, I haven't traveled in 18 months. I need my fix.
1: Well, th- this is also a good segue into one of the three um, talking points that, that we had discussed, and it's turning landmarks into national parks. So, Elliot and I had previously discussed the this emerging um, way of doing things that like specifically like Machu Picchu and Venice, they are, they're always the two that come to the forefront of my mind. So Venice is now discussing, and I don't even know if they're definitely doing it yet, but they're seriously discussing whether or not they put turnstiles at the front of the city. Mm -hmm. So you actually need to enter as if you were entering Disney world, uh, of course, it's the limit, the amount of people that entered the city. It's a it's, it's a gem. I mean, and and they want it to be around and it is a way to conserve it. You, you lower the amount of people that can travel there at any given time. I think they're talking about banning cruise ships. Uh, Machu Picchu is another one. So Elliot and I went to Machu Picchu in 2019 and right before COVID, obviously. And at that point, you bought tickets for a time period during the day. So I think it was like was it morning or afternoon, Elliot? One of those two, and we ended up buying it for the morning. But still, they were very loosely following whether or not we left at the time it mm. said, and and we kind of lingered and enjoyed it, and we went at a very slow pace. Uh, but now they're changing that. You need to go in. You go in at X time. You leave at X time, and it's very, it's it's going to be uh, enforced uh, on a higher mm. level. And and again, wow. it's to conserve conserve the area. So yeah these things are good for conservation. Is it bad for tourism, and does it make people more thoughtful
0: well no, uh, before we get into that question, I do want to confirm that mm-hmm. Venice will be uh doing the turnstiles probably this month or oh, I should say it's like insane. february twenty twenty two um and it's a five a five euro fee to enter
1: it's you such have a weird to book online dynamic because now you know if you want people to to experience it as if it was like a culture. Oh, yeah. yeah. yeah but Venice uh, is an interesting
3: that.
0: that is yeah, a weird yeah. one the the yeah. Venice one I think. Because yeah. does Venice still have a culture?
2: So and I can we, actually speak to this really personally. I don't know if yeah, any of yeah. you know this but I lived there no. um for and, several oh, months yes. working in a hostel and this That's was right. in 2014 or 2013 so a couple years ago even already at that point this was like talked about nonstop and I experienced the actual impact of tourism in Venice on a daily basis. I was actually just telling a friend, I remembered the days that the cruise ships arrived because everyone who lived in Venice knew the cruise ship schedule because you would know not to go do your shopping, not to leave the Mm -hmm. house, like to to stay home because it would be too hard to get out and run the errands you needed to run. It's a real problem there. And in terms of culture... I know for sure that a lot of like local Venetians no longer live in Venice. They've been pushed out. So a lot of them live in, I think it's called Maestra, the mainland. Um, so you take the train over to that town that's just on the mainland outside of Venice. Um, and a lot of locals felt upset about that because they were pushed out, one, because of prices and two, because they just felt it wasn't as livable anymore. And so... And this is actually a hot topic in Canada right now as well because our parks are so overwhelmed thanks to COVID because Canadians have been like, we haven't been able to travel. The government's been pretty strict about keeping us home. And so what's happened? Everyone's going into the parks. But I actually am kind of supportive of turnstiles and ticketing just because I think it does. it's one of the only ways that we can relieve the impact. And so as icky as it feels... I feel like there's no other solution when it comes down to it. Yeah. I agree and I think the only important thing is
3: that is the equity of it so that it's kind of, you know, the lottery system style, not that it becomes yes. like a high price point that then becomes, you know, a barrier. But, um, but if it is just, a, a, you know, kind of a lottery style or first and best dress to a limit or whatever, as long as it's not that they start, um, you know, uh, ramping up prices so that uh, like locals can't go or that, you know, only the, the wealthier tourists can get in. But yeah. uh, other than that, then I agree. Like, as Aaron says, it's kind of a bit icky, but the long term um, impact is better and people might just need to, you know, plan their trip a bit more or have a longer, slower trip. So they've definitely got, you know, the chance in wow. That area time. to get it in there and that to get into wherever they want to go and that kind of stuff, so yeah. And
2: actually, I, I have some follow up thoughts. Sorry, I, I'm very like passionate about this subject. That's why you're here. <laughs> <laughs> um, I moved to Venice in February, and so through February into summer, the city really like changes because in the winter, there's no one there except for people who actually live there. And it was honestly a magical time to experience that city. So I would say if you want to avoid the sort of Disneyfication experience of Venice, go in the off-season. And I think this goes for a lot of destinations because I'm noticing this in Ontario, too, in our parks. My uh, podcast producer, Katie, and I are going to go to Tobermory, which is a very famous park in Ontario. In the summer, like, you cannot get in. Getting tickets is impossible but in the winter no one's there and it's beautiful mm. so we're doing a winter trip so i like to encourage people to think about if it's possible and f- like fits into their schedule to um try to travel in off season or shoulder seasons because you can avoid some of the crowds and the ticketing and all that
0: so Aaron, were <clears throat> you there in february 2013
2: or 14 i can't remember one sec
0: okay let while you're see. finding out, because I, <laughs> the only time I've been to Venice was in late January 2013, and it was I was there with three other guys because we were studying abroad in Bonn, and we took a three day weekend trip to Venice, and it was it was very quiet, and there it was mostly locals. Um, at that time, like they had started to put those platforms in in the plazas because of the flooding,
2: yeah, for the floods,
0: <laughs> yeah. So we were just walking all over those, but it was, it was very, very quiet. And I know in one neighborhood, it did feel like there was some semblance of culture because I think it was mostly locals using a pop up ice skating rink.
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. And that was really cool to see. The other thing, actually, um, is the evenings, surprisingly, even in the summer, because a lot of tourists come in just for the day. A lot of tourists don't stay in Venice overnight because it's expensive. And obviously the tour, uh, the, the, what are they called? The cruise ships, they come and they leave. Um, In the evenings, I actually found that Venice was also quiet. And I would end up, you know, having drinks with locals in the squares in the summer Mm. evenings. It was really nice.
1: That's awesome. I was actually talking to my wife about traveling more in the winter, specifically Paris, talking about just going to Paris (laughs) in the wintertime. And yeah, why are you laughing, Elliot? (laughs) Because of your text. Yeah, I went to Paris with Elliot, and my wife has, has not. Fully forgiven me. Yeah. Oh. It was a city
3: yeah. it was a city on her Oops. bucket list and uh, yeah.
2: yeah. It's known to being a romantic city. Yeah. It was very so, I love that. Oh, I'm glad. Right. Whenever I travel with friends, I have to check with my partner. Like, is this going to upset you if I go through? Yeah.
1: So we have like a, we have a list. This is I guess going off on the tangent, but we have a list of like no travel to destinations that like, I can't go without her, she can't go without me. Yeah. But Paris, it was a layover. It wasn't planned. It was a layover that oh. we had the opportunity oh. and so yes. i found a loophole and
3: uh... <laughs> you mean you accidentally yes. stumbled into a loophole yeah
1: yeah mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, so, i, I love that idea i mean
3: especially if
1: the goal of your trip your travels is to experience experience the place authentically you're, Which it always should be, shouldn't it? Yeah, it should. For a significant majority, uh, well, you know, Elliot has, and I have sort of termed like the traveler versus the vacationer. And so yeah. for the vacationer, I don't think that is the goal. Uh, the vacationer yeah, sometimes wants to be treated as if they're, you know, in an all-inclusive, regardless of where yeah. they go. Yeah, they me, want the industry to revolve around them. That as feeling as is Karen like going to a beach too.
0: for a week versus going to a new city for a week. Because mm-hmm. I still like, I, I think that... To me, the vacation, the beach vacation is truly just that. Like, I'm not going to explore new things. I am mainly going to relax and spend time with family. Whereas traveling is like going and exploring that new culture or revisiting a culture that I had been to a little while ago and learning new things about it. And the the travel is usually more thoughtful. Whereas vacation to me is... Not brain dead, but (laughs) is
2: less thinking. It's the R&R. It's the R&R. Yeah. Yeah. I think there is a place for vacationing. I I fully Mm -hmm. understand why some people need that in their lives, especially if you have a stressful work life, going Mm -hmm. and sitting in a resort where you're fed and have water and beaches does sound appealing. I did do it once. I went for four days um, because of a family thing to a uh, resort in Cuba and on day two I was like I'm bored I'm over and this. me too I was just like get me out of <laughs> here too, I'm too high energy <laughs> I, tried. I, I tried I tried <laughs> I went
3: to Egypt for the same thing when I was living just moved to Germany and it was the only place we had suddenly a week off went to went to Egypt to a resort and yeah day two I was like I love sitting by <laughs> a pool reading my book but I can't do it all day every day <laughs> yeah. and there was a shuttle bus to the like the nearby town and I went there on the Shuttle bus every day, and no one else did. did
2: did. (laughs) I ended up leaving the the (laughs) today.
3: But also, I mean, to be fair, I live near the beach, so I can go to the beach anytime at all. So I've, yeah, makes it even harder to appreciate that kind of.
1: my, My wife and I are at a point where we're now looking more into a beach resort style vacation just because we have a three year old and a right now seven week year old so down the line our next trip is, is
3: 11, 10, he's sleep deprived they... he's allowed to oh, say that. Yeah. when you've got a seven week old you can say words like phrases like that the right,
1: the right time in there uh, so um but so anyway so traveling to a city extensively is just harder and so for our next trip which you know uh will be probably be in 2023 um will be to a resort, probably something like Bermuda or Costa Rica, where I can still run off and go for a hike or go snorkeling. But we're we're looking for a resort, um, for sure. And so there are times, I think, where it's appropriate. but
2: Yeah.
3: Absolutely. I'll um, allow that.
1: Yeah. 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 Give me a pass. Give me a pass. I'll be right back yeah. up there. You guys take your seven-week-year-old. Yes. Is that what I said? Seven-week-year-old? Yeah.
0: Is that what I said? Okay. Yeah. It's all right. We'll yeah, forgive we'll, you.
1: We'll put that in the blooper reel.
0: Oh, that's good. That's going in the it. episode. That's in the episode. None of this is getting cut We've out. have embedded it now. Yeah. Remember, I'm the sound uh, editor.
1: I'm, I'm changing the tide of this conversation. I want to get a little bit, I want, I want to make this a little bit harder and I want to stir the pot a little bit and draw and, and some drama to the conversation. So one of the things that uh, I wanted to discuss was whether or not contributing to uh, governments that commit crimes, that um, they, whether they're serious, like, crimes against humanity, uh, whether they start the political climate or whether they just treat their own people really crappy. Um, is it worth going to these countries, especially when you know the government controls the flow of tourism dollars? Um, I'm going to call out some countries, too, specifically, like uh, Russia, I think, is a country that personally I wouldn't travel to. Uh, China, um, I wouldn't I would not travel to. Um and then several in the Middle East, Saudi Arabia. Uh, uh, one that stands out. Um, so, what do you, what do you guys think? What do you guys think about this topic? I've
3: right. got and, so and, much to say. <laughs> <laughs> do, <laughs> do you that want to go first, Erin? No, flow. you go first, yeah. Amanda. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, I'll just try and say a chunk, and then give you a turn. Um, so, oh gosh, I don't know where to start. Okay, let me start with one example. So, I what my my short answer is that I think it it depends. Always depends on all the individual circumstances involved. For example, just last week, the episode that I put out was about LGBTQ travel, right? And I interviewed four different people, and all of them, in every conversation, we came to that point where, okay, would do you travel to somewhere where the government is hostile to um, to gay people, if the or if, the, if it's homophobic or if there's you know laws against um, against gay relationships? All of them, all four, said um, yes, we still go because it's not the Um, we're not we're not supporting the government by going, we're supporting fellow gay people in those um, countries by having a chance to talk to them and meet them and, um, you know, let them see what, uh, like, you know, they get to see what a gay relationship, like, you know, they've never seen uh, two men holding hands um, until, you know, like the, the guests I was speaking to have, you know, been there. And, of course, they're not parading down the street showing off, um, you know, that they're gay because in some countries that's, you know, really risky. Risky, but in you know in in private situations in a you know home or um, you know a small party whatever so they thought they all four of them without fail were very vehement about saying that they thought it was really important that they go more even more important that they go to those kind of countries because they want to support the people there who are living under those regimes. So I mean I I thought it would be a bit more um, a little bit more um, grey, but they were very black and white about all of them saying no. You know, it's really important to go. So it's that's
2: like one example.
3: It's like a form of activism. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll just and
2: echo that and say we have also done episodes interviewing people from the LGBTQIA plus um, community. And they've said the exact same thing, that that there's an empowerment aspect to it for the local communities that they go and support when they travel to these places. Yeah, Interesting. and it seems it,
0: it seems like the thought process there is that, yeah they are aware of it. They usually do their research before going to any country. And, definitely. Um, yeah. They'll they'll take that at a next step and not necessarily find the countries that are against or do not support and kind of make that an activism trip.
2: Yeah, and you know, like if I think about this through the lens of my own identity. I know a lot of women who won't travel to certain countries because it's difficult to travel there as a woman. I actually feel like it's empowering to go to those places because then I get to model for women there what it's like to come from a country where you have a lot of rights. And so... I don't know, because it would be hard if I was a woman and I said, like, I'm never going to travel anywhere where women don't have like equal rights to what I'm experiencing here in Canada. That would be like half the world I couldn't go to. (laughs) And so it's really hard to draw that moral line, you know, which is why I think it's so important, like Amanda says, to, to analyze like each individual case. And you have to really think about your personal morals. Uh, what you're trying to accomplish by going to that country, what impact you'll have, and if it's actually possible to support local people who are oftentimes very innocent. Mm-hmm. You know, like, your government might might be committing crimes against humanity, but, like, there are a lot of people on the ground there who are not involved at all, and you yeah. may not even know.
1: Yeah. That's, yeah, so I don't I don't think you'll ever chip away at the barrier if you don't travel. Aaron. Uh, or yeah. Like, like, you know, if, if you're... Yeah. Mm-hmm women would never travel solo if no one ever started to do that and pave the way and show other women that it's possible. Um, And I think, and I I understand it. uh, So like Poland popped into my mind as both of you were talking, because Poland has had a lot of issues with being very, the government anyway, being very anti, uh, uh, anything beyond like the cis, right? That's like the the Mm -hmm. thing. Um, So And there's a lot of backlash and but if you go to Poland, you're not giving money to the government, per se, because they have the economic system set up where you're actually giving contributing to the local vendors, local businesses. Uh, But if you go to China, that's not the case. There's I think no North way. Korea
3: is especially like you know yeah. North, I used to think yeah. I would be so like I've been to South Korea I've been to the the DMZ and looked over the border to North Korea and I used to think oh, I would love to go there but but I, I think that's somewhere where you really can't control anywhere yeah. where your dollars go and it's probably is all going to the you know to a government that we don't want to support so yeah I think that's a case where I would probably draw the line whereas okay. you mentioned Russia earlier and I've been there a couple of times and I would definitely return so um, I'm yeah.
2: apparently Okay, about giving dollars to Russia, but again, (laughs) like you know, I stayed with local
3: people, and
2: um... (laughs) (laughs) but I think the piece about looking at where your tourism dollars are going is a really important part of it, and and that's like the thing to research if you're really concerned because knowing where your money is going is going to make a huge difference on like how your travels impact the region. It's like a whole
0: different topic that that could be another (laughs) thesis. Just um, just following that thread of tourism dollars.
3: Well, that's like when we talk about those resorts, you know, if you go, this isn't really, really off topic, but sometimes it's 95% of the money you pay for those kind of flop and drop holidays goes back to some rich guy in America and none of the local country, you know, none of them see any of it. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. but um, Yeah. yeah, so yeah. But it is tricky and it's hard to draw the line you know in terms of like government policy and like there's a lot of things that my own government does that i completely disagree with um but exactly. i'm still right. living here so yeah yeah that's right. the thing it's such
2: a sliding scale like my government as well i think every government around the world is guilty of something and so yeah. if you decide you're not going to travel for that reason you're not going to travel anywhere right
1: yep. right so it's about i guess drawing drawing your own line in the sand and, and... Doing what you think is important uh yeah
0: so I think that line. I think that line will eventually move i mean for, as for you the individual yeah the the individual yeah. like you can you may draw a line in the sand, but that line will move as you get more information as you update what you think is responsible or moral or ethical, what you believe right now will not be the same as what you believe in five ten years mm-hmm
2: yeah.
3: Yeah, and you'll learn about different ways that you could travel to a certain place that might actually be really helpful or yeah, you'll get yeah, new information which changes exactly yeah. Yeah. that. Yeah.
1: China to me is is a is a big one. Elliot and I were planning on going to China before COVID-19 happened. We were talking about going like, you know, traveling to a few cities and traveling out west and seeing national parks and really exploring the country. And now the, the, that COVID really has nothing, didn't really change my thoughts on China. It's the, the the Uyghurs that they have these camps that they're sending to. Ah, um, oh, man, it's there's just so many things wrong with See, the but Chinese think, government. I think there was I, stuff always going go on.
0: There. there was stuff always going on. It was just that you didn't yeah, know that I stuff know was going it. on right, right. when we wanted to go.
1: But even like the manipulation of the, the, the global economy that they do, uh, I just think that they are... I can't stand the Chinese government. Um, <laughs> they're a huge issue for for geopolitics. But uh, and then like manipulating Disney movies. You know, you'll have a poster that comes out in the United States for a particular Disney movie, and it, if it has a black person or a gay person on the poster, they don't have they don't get that same poster. And their control over all of these different things, I think, is because we continue to just kind of give in and give them money. Uh,
0: and if we, we well, I think them. it's. Uh, so, Amanda, you may know Michael Hilliard. He's also lo- he's located in Australia as well. He's a fellow Aussie. But I think he's in Melbourne?
1: No, he's in Perth.
0: No, I thought he was Melbourne.
1: No, he's in Perth,
0: right? Oh. Uh, he's in Perth. Oh, okay. I
1: don't think I know him. Positive. No, All right. He's, he, he has a very successful geopolitical yeah, podcast. He does a
0: geopolitical podcast. Million he was downloads. talking about yeah. how, um, it, like Bob was saying, movies, they are tweaked to gain the Chinese... Dollar to yeah. hit that Chinese market, right. which they often remove a lot of the the activism, the progressive stuff that we see in our cultures. The Star
1: Wars, the, the, a the most recent Luke Skywalker Star Wars, like the one that capped off the trilogy, one of the biggest actors uh, was the black guy who was the Stormtrooper. <clears throat> so yes. in the American poster, he had this huge picture on there. He was a major character, and in the Chinese version, he was like super tiny, and <laughs> they've also had to take out certain um relationships if there's a gay relationship in a movie they completely remove it from the chinese version and so you have an american company catering to these an american company that on as the facade goes the progressive route to the american public and then flips it and goes you know a caters to whatever the chinese want and this is sort of a tangent like this i don't even know how this is relating to travel necessarily anymore. but um
3: (laughs) it's related to your decision that you don't want to go to china at the moment so (laughs) it's all related to travel
1: and these are all reasons (laughs) i think it's ethical for me to spend money in china exactly Uh, that's the thing It's
3: everyone has their own kind of individual lines in the sand for you know the different reasons that we know about so yeah. yeah yeah
2: Yeah,
1: there's a few more. I don't know if we want to keep uh, pointing out different <laughs> countries and why we don't it's like traveling hard. to them. It's honestly but,
2: hard for me because like um, like you were saying, I I find my feelings evolve all the time. I think the only yeah, hard no I have is probably North Korea. Yeah,
1: yeah. But Saudi Off Arabia? Off the top of my head. Saudi Arabia, you would feel comfortable you know, going to That's Saudi Arabia? That's the thing. Arabia? I haven't
2: really thought about it. And I'd uh, have okay. to look into all right whether it's actually possible to travel there without being um, like brought around. Yeah. Cause right. that's the thing about North Korea, right? Like you're, you you do not yeah, really have the freedom you're... to actually to engage with local people. I'm not sure if that's the case in Saudi Arabia.
3: Yeah. I don't think we'll it is the case. It. And there was a quite an infamous campaign a few years ago where they did take a bunch of bloggers there and influencers mm-hmm. who, you know, then you know, glossed over all the bad parts because they'd had this paid campaign to go there. But a friend of mine who's um, actually married to an Egyptian, so spent a lot of time in that area, has just been, I've been watching her in Saudi Arabia this last um, week or two. Um, and it's got me intrigued, I have to confess. And, you know, then yeah. there's that whole, you know, well, you know, if you get to meet some local people, what influence can you have or what? You know, I don't know what impact. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know. But, I mean, I am i don't have an opinion on whether I would or wouldn't. Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in the Aaron, same but... place.
2: Like, if, if the actual opportunity arose, I'd have to look into it. Exactly. More, yeah. Intensively. Yeah. But at this moment, like, I'm kind of the jury's out on it. Yeah. I love mm-hmm. deserts, which is why I'm intrigued <laughs> by it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's all desert. It's a good reason. <laughs> <laughs> it is all desert.
0: <laughs> uh, it- so I do, I think we're, we've covered, and I, I kind of categorize these three topics as conservation of tourism, conservation of landmarks, environmental, responsible travel, and then socially responsible travel. So we've kind of covered the socially and the conservation, but we haven't talked about the environmentally responsible travel yet. Mm. And I know this is a big topic, especially now with more and more people having the means to be able to travel. It has become a huge, I guess, carbon footprint per user. And it's Bob and I just had a really interesting conversation with someone that's been cleaning up like the mangrove forests off the coast of Florida. And he's a big environmentalist, and he's like, "Yeah, I think it's, I think it's amazing, <laughs> in a bad way, how." corporations have put the onus on the individual to measure their own carbon footprint. Mm-hmm. And I never really analyzed that before. Uh, instead of analyzing the corporations or the governments that should be promoting more sustainable environmental activities. But this conversation on environmental travel or environmental and sustainable travel is going to have to deal with getting things to be more green, right? Just, Jet fuel is extremely, extremely carbon heavy. Um, traveling via train and public transportation is, is currently the best, but I think we're, you know, 30 to 50 years away before everything becomes electrified and truly more green.
3: Well. You should try living in the most <laughs> isolated city in the world because yeah, <laughs> it's really right. frustrating to travel from Perth. You have to fly. Yeah, mm-hmm. like it's there's no alternative unless you're going to only to travel to the other side of Australia and then you're going to drive for four or five days. Is and there a train? There's no train. There is connect. also a train, but it's, it's crazy okay. expensive. Yeah. Okay. So really. It's a tourist train, um, oh. so it's like a luxury kind of level train. Gotcha. So it's not a. It's not a. Yeah. It's not a, yeah, it's not no a Good substitute right wow yeah so um but having said that you know obviously my my you know personally then what i try and do is always travel you know less frequently but for a longer time and you know that's not always possible for everyone but i think it's more possible if we think if we think about it and try and find ways to do that i mean i'm self-employed so it's a lot easier for me Um, Mm -hmm. but i would Mm -hmm. travel less frequently and then spend a longer time and in just one or two places and and that cuts down a lot instead of you know like uh, in perth for example there are people who will go to bali four times in a year like for literally for a weekend yeah Yeah, four Mm -hmm. separate trips for two or three days at a time and that's really yeah their cover footprint's pretty ugly so um
1: no like if we wanted to continue talking about that example would we do you tell them not to travel as much like, yeah, that's all they can I, do, yeah? Do I say, do I
3: say if they are going to Bali for a weekend, they can drive two hours south of here and have the same kind of, you know, stay somewhere nice and have some nice meals. Um, and that's a lot lower carbon footprint. And then or save up their holiday time and go do to you want, go. You know, Indonesia beyond the, anywhere for two weeks. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. if that's, you know, and whatever, like, I think there's alternatives to it. It's become too cheap. And to, I mean, Not recently because yeah. we can't leave, but um, pre-COVID it was <laughs> bit much too cheap and it was actually cheaper to fly to Bali and spend a few days there than to drive down south and get accommodation in like wow. southwest to Western Australia. So, yeah, so that's, you know, that's kind of why it happened and also, you know, tropical weather versus, you know, Mediterranean climate. Yeah. So, mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I think that that sort of that scenario is repeated all around the world. I'm sure there's, you know, your own localized examples of that. So, yeah, I mean, so that's one thing. And then and people just kind of uh, feel entitled because they can, they do. And, yeah. I you know, we have to try and find ways to discourage that, I suppose. Uh, what's
0: that question? Yeah. The, if, just because you can, should you?
3: Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um,
2: I actually, this week, interviewed Daniel Scott for my show, I'll Pack My Bags, and he researches tourism and the environment at the University of Waterloo, and it was so interesting oh, cool. to pick his brain, because I actually asked him this question, I was like, should I feel guilty as a traveler because I'm contributing to you know tourism's impact? And his first point was just that there's so many benefits to tourism mm-hmm. that... it's possible to strike a balance Mm. and he also emphasized that tourism isn't going to go anywhere like the only path forward really is to evolve it and make it better and find ways to be more green Um, but one example that he shared with me that I found really interesting was about carbon transparency so he was saying Mm. that rather than having individuals trying to map out their footprint You know, like in terms of hotels and uh, flights, the hotels, the airlines, the tour companies, they should be displaying the carbon impact of their services for tourists to see in the booking process. Because if I could see that one hotel was doing a better job in carbon than another, I would probably book that hotel. And I think it's safe to say, like, even the casual traveler would probably make that choice too, especially if the prices are the same. Of course, you're going to pick the other one. Yeah. Um, and yeah. it's the same for flights. Um, That's yeah. really interesting. And he, he also mm. mentioned, because, you know, like carbon offsetting is a bit of a controversial thing because there are some companies that you pay into that it's they're not very transparent about what they're actually doing with that money. Yeah. Um, he actually named a couple... Uh, like safe ones to use so I can forward that information if any of you are interested yeah the the problem (laughs) is he was saying like people want don't want to pay a lot in carbon offsets, so they tend to go for the cheaper ones and those are the ones not to go with like if you're paying a lot that means it's probably the better company but anyways all that said he was saying that carbon offsetting should be factored into ticket prices and it should be means based so if you buy an economy ticket that airline is partnered with a company for carbon offsetting and you are forced to pay the carbon offset when you book. The mm-hmm. fact that it's up to individual tourists right now to make that choice is part of the problem. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I, I, thought, I thought this concept of carbon transparency was really interesting that it had I, honestly never occurred to me.
0: I don't know why I'm thinking of it this way, but I imagine just seeing like the nutrition facts labels. Exactly, <laughs> with carbon. Yeah. Well,
3: yeah. yeah. Yeah, it was like when you go and buy a new appliance, you know, they yeah, have- the energy yeah. guide. <laughs> Exactly. It's kind yeah. of the same yeah. thing, but for you know, for hotels or flights or you mm-hmm. know, tour operators,
2: all sorts of things. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And he was saying this has a snowball effect because once you start to become more transparent about it, it creates more pressure mm-hmm. on exactly. the industry. Like all yeah. individuals within the industry will start thinking, Well, people are gonna book the hotel next door because they're doing a better job with carbon and so I better improve. Exactly. Otherwise I'm gonna lose. Yeah. So that's the kind of movement we would need to see i'm envisioning actually quite hopeful about the future which made me that's feel better. good, that's <laughs> that good. i'm good.
0: envisioning like these like a, almost a new brand or a new complete job line that is analyzing individual corporations or individual buildings carbon uh usage and i think that already exists but i think it'll be like the mm-hmm. software engineer from 20 years ago is now one of the most prevalent jobs in the world now
2: yeah and um have, Oh, sorry. One thing that he mentioned was uh, probably the biggest challenge for the industry right now is investment. Um, So he was saying it's just very expensive for the industry to shift to greener practices. And so Mm. introducing things like carbon offsetting helps because it creates money. So that was one challenge that he mentioned.
1: Has anybody seen the new feature on Google Flights yet?
2: Oh, I, heard uh, that I read they about might it, but I haven't checked out. into it. Yeah, So I
1: just I just pulled it up. And so there is an emissions tab and you can now sort sift through flights, whether or not they have any emissions. You can pick any emissions or low emissions only. And now every flight will tell you the average emissions for that flight. So I just did it as an oh, example. Yeah. I put, That's I put awesome. Philadelphia to Paris. So Philadelphia to Paris, uh, one flight has 700 or emits 773 kilograms of CO2. And it tells you that that is the average for this flight. Um, so the average is 773. The, this flight is 773 kilograms of CO2. The typical flight for this route is 780 kilograms of CO2. And then you can look at ones that are higher. So there's a flight from Philadelphia to Paris, but it has a layover. Uh, and the, it has a 16% increase uh, mm. over the average rate of emissions for that flight. Yeah. So that's it's awesome. pretty Yeah, And you can sift through and you could actually filter to only look at flights with low emissions.
0: And yeah. so well, it didn't exist a year ago. Have you seen that Google Maps also now has something related to fuel? So when you when you type in your destination and you hit directions, it'll show you the most fuel efficient route, which usually Ooh. corresponds to the shortest route distance wise. And sometimes, mm-hmm. so it's not always going to be the most fuel efficient and the shortest in terms of time, but it, it'll be pretty close. Mm-hmm. so you yeah. might take like highways. three minutes
1: highways are better for emissions than stop and go lots of stop and In go residential yeah. it, streets, depends. Right.
0: it depends on it? the type of car engine
3: uh-huh. okay.
1: tricky yeah. <laughs> are you are they considering that as well? Like you I doubt it at your, this point.
0: But, but,
3: <laughs> but we're making progress, aren't we? At least like yeah, making people right. more aware of this stuff so that yeah. it starts to become a decision factor. But um, Tesla is a already really big has,
0: Tesla has its own mapping system that takes in so Google Maps is very intelligent, but Tesla has taken Google Maps and added like terrain and weather into <sighs> it because wow. uh, basically the EV total mileage is very important to Tesla's because you can't just like pop into a gas station. So they actually factor in the gradient of the trip, the (laughs) wind, and then they'll actually map your route based on that. It's very cool.
3: Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of hope,
0: isn't there? Yeah, let's talk (laughs) about technology. Let's talk about some of the technology that is making travel greener.
1: Well, Elliot, here, um, I, I, th- I think you might be able to speak to this because I know you're really into the EV stuff. The, uh, one of the arguments is that EV isn't that good for the environment because the process of mining lithium and all the other rare earth mater- minerals, materials to create the EV battery for the Tesla, you know, uh, is, it's not sustainable. Let's just stick to gas. Um, you're harming the environment anyway with the surface mine. Like, what's the point?
0: Yeah, that is completely false. There there have been <laughs> multiple studies that show the entire life cycle process of an internal combustion engine versus a, an, an EV, and an EV is typically 10 times percent less carbon production for the entire life cycle of the car. And that depends on where it's the hot. car is, where the mines are, or I should say where the minerals are extracted from. So there are some where it's only a 50% reduction compared to an ICE, but- All in all, um, as we move forward with EVs, they are by far the greenest thing we have. And if you take a gas car, there's no way, let's just say, for example, EVs, there's an argument that electric vehicles are still connected to a grid. That grid is still producing electricity by coal, natural gas, or sometimes oil or nuclear. But... There is no option for a gas car to ever have that ability to have renewable energies charge it. So as we, as countries progress more towards sustainable energy production, EVs will become even more efficient. And then the other main argument with EVs is the inability or no, there's no planning for recycling of these rare earth minerals. And that is also not true. There are several companies that can basically take a used car battery, like the big ones from Tesla or other places, and basically get a 90% efficient recycling process.
1: Yeah, so I think the perfect way to, to be a thoughtful traveler is to book a flight through Google Flights, make sure your emissions are lower than the average, book extended period of time, get a Tesla while you're there. And get a Tesla. Uh, yeah.
2: <laughs> well, you know, this is one of the things that Daniel brought up actually. He was saying the reality is that as we come more green, as we become more green. Tourism will become more expensive, unfortunately. Mm. So Mm -hmm. he was saying this might end up shifting the way that people travel. Um, They'll probably travel a bit less because that hopper flight to Vegas and back for a weekend won't be quite as cheap. Um, But yeah, one caveat he mentioned was that they need to ensure that like it doesn't become prohibitively expensive. Um, because you don't want to stop people. Like if a family is mm. saving up for 10 years to go home to their family across the world, like it still needs to be accessible. So that's yeah. sort of the yeah. tough spot. Well, I, but think... I actually yeah. was just in Portugal and I rented an EV while I was there and it was no, cheaper. Right. Yeah. It was very cheap compared... We didn't get Excellent. a Tesla, but we got a... It was called a Zoe. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And it was like way cheaper is than any of the other cars. A Renault, yeah. yeah. I will say... It was a little frustrating at times because we my friend and i had never driven an electric vehicle before so we had to learn how to find places to charge it and luckily portugal is small enough that the distances were quite short but Mm -hmm. there was one drive we did that was a couple hundred k's and we were stopping like every hour or two to give her a charge our poor Uh. little zoe (laughs) but in the end I like I would do it again. I didn't mind. And it was quite fun to drive. Like it's a different driving experience. You also have to learn like how to drive in an efficient way when it's an electric vehicle. Interesting. Yeah, Yeah, I've never tried. Just (laughs) just in terms of price, it was actually cheaper than renting a gas vehicle. So if you're going to Europe, Mm -hmm. and you don't mind having a charge, it's definitely worth it, I think.
1: Yeah. So is that the the forefront of this mm-hmm. environmental, sustainable travel Definitely. movement. As far as I can tell, they're starting to cancel regional airlines. I was altogether- thinking about that
3: with France, how you mm-hmm. – if it's uh, – they've got the, – it's a new law, isn't it? If, it you yeah, can, yeah. if you can take the train within, what, two or three hours or something, then it, you can't have a flight. Yeah. Exactly. And I mm-hmm. think it's
1: going to – I think they're already talking about it snowballing into other countries and essentially yeah. – yeah. You might not be Which able to great. travel by air within Europe. Within Europe, U- you don't European. need to.
3: Like whenever I'm in Europe, I always use those trains because I much prefer a train, and a train takes you right into the middle of the city rather than like an airport on the outskirts. And yeah. um, trains you, are very you know, it takes like it's often quicker rather than getting to the. You know, airport much earlier because you've got to go through security, right. blah, blah, blah. But, you know, train, you just get there, off you go. And I love train travel. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm happy if they extend that, those kind of regulations further. I was
1: reading an article about it, and at the end it said, There's no word on whether the United States is going to follow suit. With the,
2: <laughs> <laughs> the answer to that is no. no. Yeah, that, that's not There's happening. There's no word because it's not <laughs> happening. Yeah. Oh, man.
0: But I want to jump back to, to Aaron's, you said it's Daniel. That was the guy on the podcast.
2: Yeah, his name is Daniel Scott. Daniel Scott. This episode hasn't been released yet. I think by the time this goes out, it will be okay. it's coming out in a week or oh, two weeks. I okay. so- yeah, one of the yeah. things I
0: want to address though is be. I think if we go to a greener, more sustainable travel in the near future, yes, I do think it'll be more expensive. But long term, mm-hmm. the like for example, electric aviation is actually about thirty percent cheaper than jet fuel aviation because there's Mm. significantly less maintenance on electric engines and jet fuel has variable pricing whereas electricity does have variable pricing but it's much easier to stabilize that so there's no there's no uh up and down price movement for tickets the other thing that's really interesting is the onset of autonomous vehicles in relation to electric vehicles and Mm -hmm. the application of those in cities could greatly increase sustainability throughout every major city in the world because the efficiency of an autonomous vehicle on the grid compared to having a mass of taxi drivers and private individuals trying to navigate a city um, would potentially reduce emissions by like 80%.
3: Hmm. Wow.
0: And... Autonomous vehicles per usage are actually comparable in price, if not cheaper than having your own private vehicle or getting a taxi. Mm. Yeah, very cool stuff. It's awesome. Yes.
3: Yeah, a lot of a lot of hope.
0: A lot of hope. <laughs> yeah, we're getting there. <laughs> we're getting there.
1: <laughs> um, Elliot, do you have your hoorah question?
0: I think. I think the, the biggest question that, and it may not necessarily be a question, but it's more of uh what does responsible travel mean to you as the individual? And like we all have, we all have talked about social travel, environmental travel and conservation travel, but... Every individual probably a preference, has a preference or leans more towards one over the other. For me, it's probably environmental travel. And I, as a cis white male, I don't necessarily focus on the social because I've never really had to think about it. Other people may focus more on the cultural aspect, but I doubt people are going to care whether or not they have to go through a turnstile to get into Venice, if they can still get into Venice. And same thing with Machu Picchu. Right. Because if they didn't know any better, if it's the first time there, it's not going to matter because they're still there. Um, So if you're thinking about being a responsible traveler, just listen to Amanda's podcast. Listen to Aaron's podcast. Be more thoughtful and think about things. Be more mindful about your decisions before you go.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well said. Between the two of you, Aaron and and Amanda, where do you... All of your attention to when thinking about thoughtful or responsible travel?
3: I think, I mean, mine's a bit split over all of those kind of um, areas. But um, yeah, I guess the one I want to do more of is finding ways to be giving back in communities when I travel, like the social side and the connecting with people. Um, I think that's kind of the hardest one in some ways when you. I don't know, I I, I have found it the hardest one over the years and I want to do more of that. So, you know, being more um, environmentally uh, friendly traveller, I think it's hard, but I think I know what to do and I can do my best at it. I can do slow travel and stuff. Um, And But I think, you know, really finding... A way that i am not that like regenerate the idea of regenerative travel where i'm actually contributing in a positive way and not just like you know you know an annoying volunteer tourism kind of capacity but you know getting to know people and and you know really really leaving a place better than i found it and learning something amazing out of or having it you know a crazy crazy good experience for myself as well like that's kind
2: of where i want it to be so yeah Mm. I would totally agree with that. I would say the sustainable part, it feels like there is more of a blueprint to that that you can follow. Like it's more straightforward. (laughs) But the (laughs) social aspects are definitely more complex. I find them more overwhelming. Similar to Amanda, like a lot of my focus lately has been like looking very carefully into where my money is going when I do travel. And um, the industry is not very transparent about that in general. So it can be very tough. so yeah, I've just been trying to learn ways to find that information whenever I'm booking like a tour operator or like one thing I've been doing lately is when I when I feel I want to book an Airbnb, I look really carefully at the host to try to get a sense of like, are they actually local to the community that I'm visiting or are they an expat that just came in and bought a property and are now using it to profit off of this local community? And those are like new things that I'm doing that definitely take time and a bit more work but I think it does make a difference so that's sort of where I'm that's a difference to the community but also to your
3: trip like mm-hmm. you know I, I remember when I was in Denmark a few years ago I was very careful in exactly that scenario with the Airbnb hosts I chose and I got to meet really cool people who were locals with a spare yeah. room kind of thing. They weren't, you know, I, there was no detriment to, you know, I wasn't taking someone else's, you know, I wasn't making someone else's rent more expensive by taking that room. It was never going to be, you know, a normal accommodation. And, and I got to meet them and they were fascinating people and, you yeah. know, share yeah. stories of our own. You it's know, almost like a host takes, family yeah exactly yeah. right, but it definitely takes more research and you know to really figure that out, but it's so valuable for you know it it give, you know it's a real win win on both sides, so yeah yeah, yeah I I totally the, agree with that aaron
0: the win win for this in my eyes is is slow travel it kind of covers all three aspects, but yeah not everybody has that privilege um The one thing that you hinted at amanda and i we didn't talk about it at all during this entire conversation is that of the <laughs> What's been termed as voluntourism. Uh, yes. And I think that is <laughs> that ties into the social aspect of travel and the idea of doing uh, like the two-week teaching or the two-week go and build something. And I think there, there are definitely better organizations and better ways to be a
1: volunteer. Requires
3: research. yeah. so much I mean there's so it's such a difficult topic and basically anything that you know is of that kind of ilk like really i'm not a builder there's no point in me going somewhere to build something for two weeks it would be better if i gave them my money and they hired a local builder who then has mm-hmm. a job and then builds whatever they're building way better than i'm going to build it for a yeah. start so uh, you know yeah. it, the building me building it is just me feeling good about it and right. um right yeah you know and the same like with you know teaching and stuff like you know if you're there for a week or two what sort of impact you really have so i mean it's such a very complicated topic but if if you're going to volunteer somewhere use skills that you already have so that you're actually making a genuine impact because you have a skill that is required Mm -hmm. and make sure that it's it's driven by local people like local people have decided what we need here and how we can get help with that and you know I mean that's just like the two quick things I would say to you know to help with that but it's really fraught with difficulty because it's been so much really bad volunteerism over the years
2: yeah Uh, I interviewed someone about this once actually and she was like let's not play pretend at being international development experts. (laughs) Only do this if you actually have a defined (laughs) skill. Because these experiences tend to be more beneficial for you as an individual than for the community you're visiting. So it's really about like decentering yourself in that experience and thinking like, what impact am I actually having long-term on this community? And is it better if I just donate money to them if I really want to help? It doesn't feel as good, but if it does better, then do it. Yeah, Yeah. are you doing it
0: because of how it makes you feel or how mm. it's going to actually well, impact you're... them. Exactly. And if it's, the, if it's the first, then you probably shouldn't go.
1: Yeah. Right. It's it's the organizations. I think, Elliot, we talked about this when we had the women um, that came to us about poaching and, mm-hmm. and the impact of Westerners on African communities specifically. And a lot of these organizations, it's about if, if you're going and you're providing insight on how the organization can then teach the locals, to do the thing that you are familiar with doing in your home country, then it goes much longer than just going and, and doing it, it. You know, it, it's better to go. It's better to go and teach it's a the world. local teachers how to teach English rather than going and teaching English for three weeks and then coming back. Yeah, home. it's that proverb,
0: right? It's 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 better to uh, teach a man to fish than to yes, fish for a man. <laughs> I don't. Like, I really butchered that, that. I really butchered There's something about a horse. There's
1: something
3: yeah. about a horse with water too. I'm chips with that. fish, one, right?
0: that one, I know. You can take <laughs> a horse to water, but you can't make him drink.
3: <laughs> right. Yeah.
0: Yeah.
1: Yes. Yeah. It's all. Yeah. All right. <laughs> so I think I think we covered it. And unless anybody has anything else, I I learned a lot actually on this conversation with the both of you. I knew I would. Um, But thank you for giving me more insight on responsible travel and thoughtful travel. It's something that Elliot and I, we've talked about multiple times. Amanda, every time you've been on, I think, that has sort of been at the core of the conversation. Uh, But we don't cover it on a weekly basis. So. yeah thank you for coming on today mm-hmm. uh for those for those of you listening the websites to podcasts to blogs of both amanda and erin are going to be in the show notes we highly recommend uh, checking both of those podcasts out because again if you want to learn to be more responsible that's the way to do it and they cover it uh weekly um you know so definitely do that again amanda erin thank you so much for coming on the show today
3: thanks for having me
2: it's been thanks fun as always me. Yeah, it's been really lovely. Great to meet you all.